My name's Amy Shell, and you're listening to Mo Mushrooms. Welcome back. This is season one, episode two, and we are going to continue our discussion that we began last week about mushroom anatomy and an introduction to foraging. So if you have that notebook that you started writing notes in from last week, take a second and pull it back out. I am going to be going in depth today about how to identify specific mushrooms to take home and eat by how they look, where they grow, and weirdly enough, how they smell. So first, though, I want to review some of our ground rules. The first one, very important, do not eat any mushroom unless you are positive that it's edible. The second one, we are not going to trespass on private property to forage, no matter how promising it looks. (laughs) Always get permission from the landowner um, and don't forage in national parks. Thirdly, we have take only what you need. Leave the rest behind. So don't over harvest. Only take what you're going to eat or take what you're going to freeze for the season. Don't be greedy. And my new rule this week is don't eat wild mushrooms raw. You always need to cook them or process them somehow, whether that's, you know, sauteing them or pickling them or whatever. Just don't pick one right off the ground and eat it. (laughs) The other thing that I want to talk about before we dive into what kind of edible mushrooms you can find this spring uh, is making a spore print. Spore prints are really cool. They're a great way to add one more step to your identification process. They remind me of if you've ever pressed a flower before, you know, on a piece of paper and you pick that flower up when you're done and there's an imprint left, the color, the ink from the petals has kind of leaked out. A spore print is similar. So you'll see in your field guides that the authors describe the color of the spores that's what you're looking for. So they're dropping out of the cap onto the piece of paper and they're leaving behind an impression and it looks pretty cool. To make a spore print, you're going to disconnect the cap from the stem of the mushroom and you're going to place the cap gills or pores side down on a white or black piece of paper or a piece of tin foil. Tin foil and black paper, those are both nice options if you have a mushroom that you think is going to have white spores that will show up really nicely on those. So you'll place that cap gills or pores side down. And then after 12 to 24 hours, you pick the cap back up and you'll see the print that's left behind. A really easy mushroom to do this with, since this is the mushroom we all kind of see grown in our front yards when the weather starts to get warmer, is the Amanita virosa, the destroying angel. Um, Yes, it is poisonous, so please don't eat it, but you're not going to get poisoned just from picking it up. So don't be afraid to touch it. Uh, you're you're going to be fine. I have a very small collection that I started of spore prints, and this was last spring when I was kind of starting to get into foraging and mushrooms in general. So I have a little collection. I need to get better about doing some more spore prints, but it's fun to go back and kind of look at my note cards. I keep them note cards in a little plastic bag and, you know, I can go back and look at what I found. So I hope that you were able to kind of start looking around as you were walking your dog or, you know, driving this week and just let your thoughts linger a little longer on what could possibly be hiding around you and under your feet. Um, 
as mentioned last week, the best first step that you can really do when you're looking for great edible mushrooms is to know what they're growing on or near or with and getting out there and exploring your personal wilderness is, you know, the best way to do that. So now let's jump on in. I'm going to guide you on how to start searching for some delicious warm weather fungi today. Uh, I am going to be pronouncing or attempting to pronounce the correct scientific names. I'm also just going to list the mushrooms that I talk about in the notes section. Uh, yeah, don't make fun of me because I'm probably going to mispronounce some. So first, we're going to start with morels, Morchella esculenta. <laughs> so morels are our star this week, and the taste really doesn't compare to any other fungus. I personally think a lot of that has to do with how rare and precious they are to find in the spring. If someone reveals their secret morel hiding place, they are like, you know, your best friend or they really love you because people do not give up their spots. Once they find a good spot, they really guard that. Um, morels are mycorrhizal. So they have that symbiotic relationship with the trees that they are compatible with. This is why I started talking about elms, sycamores, hickories, and ash trees last week. Those are great places to begin your search if you find a little grove of any of those kind of trees. Morels really love old apple orchards or fruit orchards too. So let's think back a little bit now on what mycorrhizal means. So the mycelium of that fungus is in a symbiotic relationship with the root system of that tree or plant. If the tree or plant dies, then what's going to happen to the fungus? There went its whole food source. So the fungus is going to try to preserve itself by spreading its spores. This is the reason that, you know, a recently burned forest or old apple orchards or dead and dying trees, that's why you want to be looking there is because this fungus is going to create its fruiting body in order to spread its spores. That's the entire point of a fruiting body. And that's with any mushroom, not just morels, but I just, so you can kind of start connecting the dots on that. Like, why do they pop up in the first place? Well, it's because their food source has been compromised. So now they're going to try to self-preserve and spread their spores. And by uh, picking these mushrooms and carrying them around with you in your mesh paper or your mesh bag or your basket or whatever it is, you're helping it spread itself out. So that's pretty cool. So back to morels, they have a very short season here in the Midwest, begins usually in April and then ends in May, give or take a week. Uh, we found some in March last year, actually. Um, the last week of March, it had been really warm. And so, you know, so we got some early morels. These little guys are very persnickety. They need just the right conditions. And they blend in with the ground really easily. So you might be like stepping on morels <laughs> and crushing them before you even realize what you're doing. You are not going to see them start to pop up until soil temperatures reach around 50 degrees. Uh, definitely nothing below that. It has to have been warm for a while. They grow out of the ground within a few feet of the correct trees. So you're not going to see them growing on stumps or anything like that. It's directly out of the ground. They like warm but not too warm, moist but not too moist. Um, you'll usually have good luck with south or west facing hills because those are the areas that get the most sun early in the spring. 
in the early days of the season, they'll typically be closer to the edge of the woods. So you'll see these morels kind of like on the, yeah, on the edge of your woods that you're looking at, um, where the trees are more spread out. And then as the weather starts to get warmer, they're going to move back into the woods a little bit. When you do spot your first morel, you need to stop and you need to look around very carefully because you are probably surrounded because where there's one, there's usually a ton. Uh, anywhere from, you know, 10 to 12 other ones around you, sometimes even more than that. I mean, people come home with pounds of morels. So when you are looking for these, you have to be, I mean, you are laser focused into the ground because they're yellow and brown. They look like these little yellow and brown sponges um, just kind of popping out of the ground. So they really do blend in very well with their environment. Something that is a really telltale sign that you have a morel is if you cut it open, they're totally hollow. There is such a thing as false morels, but they are not yellow. They are darker in color and they aren't hollow. So all you have to do is slice open that mushroom that you found. And if it's hollow, you're good to go. You're going to want to slice them in half anyways before you cook them because a lot of times, you know, little bugs and slugs (laughs) make their homes inside these little hollow caps. Some people swear that if you soak your morels in salt water overnight, that you know, you're going to make sure you kill all the bugs that are in there and it doesn't really affect the flavor. Other people think that soaking them overnight totally takes away all the flavor. I don't really have an opinion, but y'all know I'm not going anywhere near no bugs. I still have a very, (laughs) I'm so scared of like critters crawling out. So I usually make my husband (laughs) cut them open and clean them and do all that part of the work. So like I already mentioned, I really can't describe the taste of morels. Um, They are just delicious. Some people use the word meaty to describe them. I don't know. I I really like to toss mine in some seasoned flour. So I just, you know, once they're clean and rinsed and all of that, I don't even put butter or oil on them directly. I just, they're a little damp. So then I'll toss them in a bag with some seasoned flour and I fry them up in a pan in butter. And we've put them on our steaks before. I mean, they just make a great appetizer too. Dip them in some sriracha ranch. Yum. So good. You have to have a lot of patience for any kind of mushroom hunting, but especially for morels. It's really important to keep in mind that, you know, the successful morel hunters, they don't necessarily know more than you, but they spend hours scouting out potential spots in the preseason and more hours actually walking the woods when the season does arrive. So, you know, the more you look and the more in-depth you're going with your prep work of like trying to identify potential spots, you know, the more success you'll you'll probably have. So it, it really is just hours of walking around <laughs> staring at the ground. It can make for some long and dirty work, but it is so worth it to come home and fry up those morels for sure. The next mushroom I want to talk about are chanterelles. So proper name would be canthrellus. And they are similar to morels in that they don't grow on wood. They grow out of the ground and they also have a mycorrhizal relationship to the plants and the trees around them. They really enjoy similar conditions too. So you've had a dry spring or dry early summer. Those chanterelles are going to be a lot harder to find. You might not find them. You'll find them you know, among the leaf litter and grass, just like morels, um, and also usually in larger groups. 
you're going to find them near maple, beech, poplar, birch, and oak trees. Sometimes they're associated with pine and fir trees, so it doesn't have to be a hardwood necessarily, but usually in Missouri, they are associated with those hardwoods. They like the moist soil, so river bottoms are a good place to look. Their season starts in May, and honestly, it usually runs all the way through October if the conditions are right, and you know how Missouri is. It's like hit or miss. The summer could be really dry or really wet. Um, Early fall is a good time to be looking because the insects that like to kind of burrow in them and snack on them, those are starting to decline, so you're going to have to do less cleaning. They get less crittery, and you know, ugh, no thank you. No bugs in my mushrooms, please. Um, chanterelles are usually orange or yellow in color, and they are trumpet-shaped. This makes them easier to spot than morels. There is one species of chanterelle that is a brownish-black color, and those are referred to as black trumpets. Uh, but no matter what the color is, they all have these wavy, smooth edges, and you're going to want to be checking the undersides of the caps. This is the number one way you can distinguish if you have a chanterelle or something else. Um, a chanterelle does not have gills. Some of them are totally smooth at the underside of the cap. And other ones have false gills. And those kind of look like folds. They're blunt edged. So um, I don't know how else to describe it. They look like folds instead of gills. Um one very poisonous mushroom that looks like a chanterelle is something called the jack-o'-lantern mushroom. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce its scientific name. It's in the notes. <laughs> you can go look at that. Um, but the jack-o'-lantern has true gills. So those sharp edged gills. Uh, and another identification for a chanterelle is actually the smell of it. So chanterelles smell like fresh fruit kind of they have this kind of light fruity smell to them kind of peppery too sometimes um there is one more other fungus that is called a false chanterelle and again i'll list the scientific name in the notes but these also have true gills just like the jack-o'-lantern does and they are usually bright orange with a kind of a darker orange or reddish center they are not deadly but they don't taste great and they can cause some mild tummy distress. So that's no fun. But again, you know, it's that they won't kill you, but you just, you want to make sure you get the right mushrooms if you're going to be cooking in the kitchen with them. I am so sad to say that I have not tried a chanterelle yet. Uh, I just didn't have any luck when I was looking for them last season, but there are so many recipes out there for chanterelles. Uh, the flavor has been described to me by other people and by all my field guides as a combination of fruity, peppery, and subtly earthy. Uh, a very, very versatile mushroom. And chefs really love working with it. That's a mushroom that you'll see uh, foragers selling to different kitchens. Um, they kind of, you know, absorb the flavor. And this is mostly any mushroom. They'll all kind of absorb the flavor of whatever you're cooking them in, but because of those undertones in the chanterelles of that kind of peppery, kind of fruity um, hints in there, they do really well in anything that's really buttery or creamy, uh, really good in omelets, risottos, any kind of recipe that calls for mushrooms, chanterelles are a good choice. Um, 
You can also saute them and freeze them if you have, you know, a really good harvesting season. So that's a plus. You can you can do that with a lot of mushrooms. And I am going to talk about that a little bit later on how you can save these for, you know, in the dead of winter and you're craving morels. Okay, well, you can pull them out of your freezer. So we'll go over how to do that. The only thing with chanterelles and with a couple other mushrooms too, oyster mushrooms will we'll get like this. The stems can get a little woody when you um, dehydrate them or freeze them. So you'll just want to make sure you cut those off before you eat them so it doesn't ruin the flavor. The third and final mushroom we are going to talk about today is the oyster mushroom. The correct scientific name is Pleurotus ostriatus. Uh, oyster mushrooms are great because you can find them in almost every season in Missouri. I found some in December. <laughs> as long as there's been rain, um, especially rain and a sudden cold snap, which is what we seem to be prone to here, you're probably going to have some good luck finding them. Um, you know, we slide around anywhere from 45 degrees down to 15 degrees in December and January and into February. So it's, it's pretty easy to find them once you know what you're looking for. Oyster mushrooms grow on dead and dying hardwoods, and so you're going to see them on, you know, dead tree stumps and a lot of those fallen logs. That's where I found a lot of mine. Oyster mushrooms are called oyster mushrooms because that's what they look like. They look like raw oysters. So... It's got that oyster-shaped cap, and they have gills. That's going to be the dead giveaway to this mushroom is the presence of its gills. They have something called decurrent gills, which means that they are attached and running down the cap and into the stem. So they often grow in this kind of shelf-like formation with all these overlapping clusters. That's kind of another giveaway. They are very smooth on the top of their caps. There are no warts, no scales. They are usually uh, white to a light brown, and if they are fresh, their uh, flesh is going to be nice and firm, so nothing soggy. If they're soggy or squishy, they're probably a little old, and you you know they're not good to eat then. They might not have a stem. Uh, if they do, it's going to be really stubby and kind of off-center, and um, especially if that's growing on a log. it's If it's growing on the top, you might see a more well-developed stem. Um, I, most of mine, they, they just kind of look like these clusters growing out of the side of a tree. Uh, the spore print, if you're interested in doing a spore print, I've done one on an oyster mushroom before. It's this really pretty kind of lilac grayish color. So I would, I did mine on a, on a little black piece of paper. Beech and aspen trees. I know I've mentioned dead and dying hardwoods, but beech and aspen trees, um, tend to be the most common. Um, they do have a sort of a strange smell. They smell a little bit like licorice. So it's this anise odor is what they call that. Um, <laughs> And again, you can kind of find them all year here in Missouri. So they're a good one to get out there and start looking for now, you know, after a rain. There's lots of different types of oyster mushrooms. Um, the Pleurotus ostriatus is the true quote unquote oyster mushroom. But 
there are other pleurotus mushrooms that are referred to as oysters. There's the golden oyster, king oyster, phoenix oyster, king tuber. Uh, there's a whole lot more. They're all edible. So it's not a big deal. Say if you find a golden oyster, that's fine. You can eat a golden oyster. The Again, the key is looking at those gills. I will say too, this was um, a mushroom that I was more nervous about identifying because it's so, it seems so nondescript from any other, you know, white mushroom <laughs> growing on a tree in the woods. But in America, there is not a deadly poisonous lookalike to this. There's not even a poisonous lookalike to this. If you find a shelf-like cluster with those smooth white caps and those gills running underneath and it's growing on a dead log hardwood, you've probably found an oyster mushroom. Um, you know, they're really one of the easiest ones that you can identify. And I have gotten super, super comfortable with them now. I actually have a pretty humorous story from fairly recently. It was this past fall. I was out mushroom hunting and I saw what looked like the perfect cluster of oyster mushrooms. They were a little too high for me to reach. (laughs) They're kind of notorious for that. You'll see this beautiful like light descending from heaven, you know, cluster of these oyster mushrooms up just out of reach. And I hadn't found anything else that day and I really wanted these mushrooms. So I had my dog with me. I put her leash down on the ground and I built myself a little mini ladder out of all the logs around me so that I could climb up and, you know, cut down these oyster mushrooms and they were worth it. They were delicious. I ate them with my eggs when I got home, but anybody who passed me by probably would have thought I was absolutely insane. So those three mushrooms, we've got your morels, chanterelles, and oyster mushrooms. Those are three that, you know, you can get started with in the next couple of months. Just keep your eye out. I would like to reiterate, I am not a scientist. I am not a pro. I am very much just an amateur mycologist, I guess you would say. I'm very interested in fungi and I have gotten very good at identifying these edible ones, but you need to be doing your own research as well. So you cannot just listen to this podcast alone and then think that you're ready to go. You need to go invest in some field guides. You need to do some Google searches, get familiar with what the gills look like, what pores look like, really understand what it is that you're looking for before you just get out there and go for it. But I I hope that this does help you feel a little bit more confident and kind of help narrow down your search. The last topic I'm going to discuss today is just, you know, some prepping of the mushrooms. I know I gave what I like to do with morels, you know, frying them in a pan with some seasoned flour. But, um, you know, you can really do that with any mushroom. That's kind of my go-to. I will put them in my eggs a lot of the time, especially oyster mushrooms, because the oyster mushrooms, they tend not to have as strong of a flavor, so they really do take on whatever it is that you um, cook them in. The first time I ever had oyster mushrooms was actually uh, at a music festival back in 2018. It was the... Um, Hillberry Music Festival up in Arkansas. Eureka Springs, shout out to the farm. 
uh, venue in Eureka Springs. And this was a really cool festival. They had all different classes. And one of the classes that they offered was actually a wild foraging class. But I am terrible and I lost (laughs) my paperwork from that class. I'm in the process of looking for it. I will post the name of the guy who gave a wonderful class and his company. It's Ozark. It's Ozark something. Um, He was giving out free samples of his products. He was pickling his own mushrooms and, um, you know, just, just gave a really great comprehensive overview of what the Ozark specifically had to offer. And, from there on out, I was kind of hooked and really wanted to know how I could get more involved, but I had nowhere to start. I was way too busy working too many jobs, planning a wedding. It was a lot. So I need to go and find that information and I will post it for you guys. The way that he pickled these mushrooms, I mean, they were so good. And I usually don't like pickled anything. I love pickles, but not, you know, pickled anything else. Ugh, These were delicious. So you know, oyster mushrooms are a good one to do that with. Um, a lot of people saute, like with chanterelles, especially what you can do with those is saute them and then freeze them. And when you thaw them out and throw them back in the pan, uh, you know, they taste great. They taste fresh again. I purchased some dried morels from the Soulard Farmer's Market for New Year's Eve Um, and the way that you rehydrate after you dehydrate these mushrooms is, um, you, you boil some water and you pour that boiling water on top of them. The morels were pretty good. I think it was my fault for not, I don't know, rehydrating them properly. I had to really add a lot of butter and a lot of spices to get them to taste the way that I wanted them to, but you know, then they turned out, they turned out great. So, There are those options for you to store them um, and pull them out in winter. Uh, The broth, so like the, when I rehydrated those morels, they created this broth and I am now saving the broth to make a vegetable soup. So yeah, you can totally store whatever you harvest if you had a really successful season. Hopefully you all do, fingers crossed for you. Those are just a few things you can do. I will be going more in depth with specific recipes, um, probably in the future. I'm thinking that this season I would like to do, uh, an episode where I am literally out foraging for mushrooms and then I bring them back and, uh, follow a recipe or make my own recipe and, and share it with you guys. So we'll be looking forward to that. I think that just about covers everything I was wanting to get to today. Again, I am so happy to take any of your questions. Do not hesitate to reach out on our Facebook page or our email address, momushroomspod at gmail.com. I hope you guys enjoyed the last two weeks, and I can't wait to do some more episodes. I haven't decided on our next discussion topic yet. I might have a special guest with me. We'll just have to wait and see. But in the meantime, happy hunting and happy spring. 